Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're back, and we're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I'm Keeper Jen. With me tonight are the awesome Keeper Mark. <laughs> Greetings. And the amazing and, well, well loud Keeper Bob. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no slights intended, I promise. Uh, Well, tonight we're going to discuss uh, a book that obviously appears on Appendix N, one of the original uh, versions of such, and it is by Paul Anderson. We are going to be discussing The Broken Sword. Book tells the story of Scaflock, elven fosterling and originally son of Orm the Strong. The story begins with the marriage of Orm the Strong and Elfrida of the English. Orm kills a witch's family on the la- on her land and later half converts to Christianity, but quarrels with the local priest and sends him off his land. Meanwhile, an elf named Imric, with the help of the witch, seeks to capture the newly born son of Orm, and in his place, Imric leaves a changeling named Valgard. The real son of Orm is taken away to the Elvish lands and named Scaflock by the elves who raise him. As the story continues, both Scaflock and Valgard have significant roles in the war between the trolls and the elves as things escalate until the restoration of the Broken Sword. I don't know about you two, but I went into this with a little bit of trepidation after things like Free Hearts, Free Hearts Free Lions, Lions. or, um, well, the, the one that we were going to do as a book, but we ended up doing as a movie. Sorry, the, the Puff Puff Pass High Crusade film? Yeah, no, that was a, <laughs> Monty Python does Paul Anderson. Yeah, that was a, yeah. Um, well, mistakes were made, lessons were learned. Uh, for my part, I thought it was an interesting book. Uh, we were just discussing before we went live about which uh, which version we had actually read. And Mark, you which one did you read? I read the reprint that was made in 2002, which restored the original 1954 version. And I there was an in, a version that was published that had a by Lynn Carter, which Paul Anderson, right, which is what you and 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 Jen read, and 
that version has it was done by the author, right? It was done by Paul Anderson, and he, you know, I think the changes were in like to the Ford's point, make it more readable, right? And so there was some comment that I saw from Mike Moorcock when he was uh, comparing the version, saying that uh, the the second version was uh, was his lesser it lessened the work in his mind. So I was kind of curious, just in terms of you know, as we go through it, we might see some things, but it may just be that it's all in the you know the small textual changes uh, between you know it could be that the aliens aren't subtitled um (laughs) (laughs) we weren't going to discuss that bob um no the the part that i really enjoyed was that in the foreword because there's the introduction by lynn carter and then there was another foreword in the version that we had read uh stating that uh Thanks to Lynn Carter and and team, it had been republished again and was made more accessible to the public as far as reading capability. Mm. Um, But he also mentioned that he isn't this author anymore. He's more like the author of Three Hearts, Three Lions now. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I, I want to start by saying that I liked this book. Uh, and, and now I'm afraid that because I got angry emails after I didn't like Three Hearts, Three Lines, I'm going to get angry emails for liking this one. That's what's going to happen. And I know it. Um, Probably. I mean, this this was published in 1954 and falls under Paul Anderson's category of magical realism, where he tried to be fairly accurate with with setting and and reality except for the stuff that wasn't right <laughs> which <laughs> d- d- to me would seem to be fantasy but no it's 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 magical realism but i find i really found like the, the weapon descriptions and the combat very interesting and fairly realistic and that might have something to do with at least according to his obituary, Paul Anderson was a co-founding member of the SCA, right? Um, his wife and his daughter. Um, of course, the SCA was the brainchild of, of David Thewlis, Ken De, De uh, Maffey, I think, and author yeah. Diana Paxson. So he didn't create it, but he was a co-founding member. Mm. And so, I mean, this, this is a guy who was all in, right? <laughs> He was all in on his Norse mythology and Scandinavian heritage, apparently, because that's pervasive in the version I read. Well, and, um, and the nautical scenes, I thought, were a refreshing change from just horseback charges. And it got me to thinking about uh, some of the history of all in the beginning. Uh, I shouldn't say in the beginning, but tying back to being friends with Jack Vance and building the houseboat. and. Yeah, I was thinking of that while I was reading it, just like in terms of, you know, how this compares to that circle of, you know, Frank Herbert and Jack Vance and Paul Anderson all kind of being friends and being in the same, you know, space and, you know, just in in the creative space at the same time. Because this parallel, this is like basically the same time that some of the Dying Earth works were being, you know, created in the 50s and obviously, you know, Frank Herbert's writing. Um, I came to this without, with very little knowledge of the the story, which was actually, in the end, I think, worked to its advantage. And I like the book, too. I I was not expecting this sweeping epic that I would compare to 
you know, less less comparison to Lord of the Rings, but you know, it's, it's very much like a Tolkien-esque thing, but it's much more comparison to the Cimmerillion, right? In this in this term of like, it's it seems to span history and ages, even though it's contained within basically like a year's time of real time. But this magical realism effect is, it could be yeah, ageless, right? Because of you know the oh. the, the things that, that are re- referenced in the novels. But, but it book. does span more more than that year's time, right? I mean, it does follow with both of our quote-unquote protagonists from preconception to death i mean yeah the last half of it is all one year but there's all those pieces and jumps and pieces and jumps and and i agree it's it's wholly epic in scale and told in one novel yeah but it 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 has this you know it's very much like a a greek tragedy sort of arc to it and in this you know the the mythological hero hero quest and and all these things that i it it was so dense for the the shortness of the the novel it's like 270 pages 280 pages something like that but it feels like a much you know a very dense novel just in terms of like what it's trying to accomplish you know whether it successfully does that or not i think it kind of you know depends on (laughs) your take on the book but for me i mean it, it, it was an introduction in immersion in a world that i had rarely come across right just especially like the the scandinavian mythos which is so much a part of like modern fantasy and modern Dungeons and Dragons role-playing games. But this is kind of like going back to a point in time when that was probably not, you know, offered, you know, very much, you know, outside of like the fae, the fae of Lord Dunsany and, and these other kind of, you know, precursors. Well, and I would almost say that, that modern, like modern RPGs sort of use almost mock Norse mythology, right? Mm. It's, you know, it, it is, it is what has been drawn, what was drawn from Norse mythology in the early games, which is then filtered down, and this really is is rooted more in that mythology. Um, this both, isn't both necessarily just Norse, though. This is not necessarily just Norse. No, no, it, 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 is, it is not. Celtic, there, there, there's there's some Celtic no. in there as well. As a matter of fact, he, he talks <laughs> about you know if I might if I must fight a a, a drow, right, which comes from the Scottish drow or trow, which was a troll. But when I saw that in there, it was like, oh! <laughs> I was all excited. <laughs> no, you've got the, uh, the Tuatha de Manan and the the Cindy and all the thing, yeah, all the and and all the she and yeah, it, it's it really threw me back to the days over twenty years ago when I used to just chew up the Morgan Llewellyn ancient Celtic historical novels, and I hadn't delved into that for quite some time so i i would say that i would not mind rereading this i would however say that i would not mind rereading this as a book the audio <sighs> all right some of you know i love bronson pinchot but this is just not oh balky oh, <laughs> does paul anderson really oh wow <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's rough. That's rough. It was something. What was interesting to me is that this presented much. I assume, and not being well versed in other other than sort of like you know peripherally you know versed in like Norse mythologies as you kind of absorb the you know our modern culture and things like that. And in like I've read a lot of like you know Gaiman, who obviously references a lot of like sort of this this mythology as well. But what I really thought unique about this at least or you know from my perspective is that the way that the trolls and the elves are depicted is 
is so different than how they are in you know modern fantasy role playing games, and it is probably hewing much closer to that original sort of concept of those you know creatures, right? You know the fake creatures that are they're both really sort of one side of each of a coin, right? You know the trolls are sort of the the opposite of the elves in many ways, but they're clever. They're you know intelligent. They just have to be brutish and you know strong, but they're equal in magic and power to the elves, right? And in fact, you know that's referenced a few times. Like our spells will counter each other, so it's just the the pure combat now, right? In terms of, but you don't think of like trolls in in the context of you, you know, don't think of trolls engaging in naval battles, right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 this really it's rich depiction of those things, and I like that. Um, you know, like that kind of taking some closer aspect of that to the original myths and presenting that. And I think that's a really intriguing thing for you know fans of this uh, this genre. Well, and the difference in trolls from from uh, role playing games is really funny. Since if if I'm recalling correctly, it is three hearts and three lions that introduces the troll that we are used to seeing in D anD D, and so this this earlier novel where where the trolls, you know, they hearken back closer to the the Norse meaning of their name, which are the fiend or demon, and they're creatures of the earth, and and I agree, they're they're almost they're more akin to what. I would imagine ogres to be, except maybe a little bit brighter, but um, a lot drunker. Um, but but yeah, and then and then the elves. Oh my god, that that first description of the elves' eyes—that they are mm. all cloudy blue without whites or readily seen pupil—and talking about the flecks of black that you know the, the motes of darkness that move across their eyes. Oh my god, Compared that was that, that right there. I was hooked. Compared to the soulless black of the troll, the, I mean yeah, the troll's yeah. eyes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I like that. Elves. Go ahead, Jen. I, I, I'm still Go ahead. a little stunned that the elves kept dwarves as thralls. <laughs> well, there was like there was like this intermingling that is depicted because the, the trolls kept elves as thrall. They referenced right, and and they and the they they also have this. I think when when he's going out and recruiting Scaplock's or Imric is going out and recruiting other elves, there's this concept of they are, you know, basically like half-breeds. You know, there's some of them that have troll blood in them or some of them that have dwarven blood in them. And so there's this kind of like intermingling concept and, you know, the thralls are are kind of this, you know, currency or, or you know, they're, they're, they're pervasive. And That's I great. love how like goblins are considered, I, I was, I, I was trying to find that quote, but it was something like, you know, um, uh, I think the, the goblins are basically like, you know, they're not as, at least they're not as bad as trolls, you know, or something like that, where, but better to become, have been conquered by goblins, at least they are a well-mannered people <laughs> in comparison to the trolls, which is, you don't think of it, it, these, these kind of archetypes in the role-playing sense being, you know, having this origin of uh, intelligent fake creatures who, um, you know, serve, provide service or, you know, fight alongside in the case of the trolls, you know, the goblins, they recruit them as allies and they're, they're good warriors, you know, they say, which is, you know, this kind of weird concept too. It really makes me go back to like the tables in AD&D of were these races friendly to each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can totally see that. And, you know, with with the thralls, you know, with the thralls in mind, there certainly are some disturbing themes that run through this story, right? I mean, I we, we can all oh, yeah. agree there. 
I mean, were were we not gonna get into that? Well, and, and I just <laughs> I, I will just say, you know, a lot of people were weirded out when Luke Skywalker discovered Leia was his sister after he had kissed <laughs> his sister. Well, if that shocked you, this book is really gonna disturb you. Um, yeah, there are no more mysteries as to how changelings are created. Oh my! That, I was so <laughs> when, I, when I when you when they first got to that point, I was like, "Oh, this is not the novel I was expecting." <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. At, at least, at least, it, it all happened so fast from conception to gestation, uh, but that was just well, disturbing. And- and later on, you know, the the elf uh, women who are left behind are very much like, well, you know, this will be intriguing because it's new and and different, you know, <laughs> to try this even, the, you know, which is like the, the lust aspect of this novel is very much at the forefront and very much like a, a kind of, you know, theme throughout. And, you know, it 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 ties together with obviously the the sister brother tragedy that's at the forefront too. But but there is a lot that I I think could be problematic for you know modern readers modern sensibilities certainly because it is oh, yeah. very much of its time and it's it's referencing you know age-old traditions and practices that are not you know certainly current the one thing that when i was reading is like oh my oh, nice way to put it yeah i, I was reading as what is like one second i think there's one phrase when it's like he's describing frida and he's like oh she's much more of a girl than a woman I was like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> so that's even on another level of not. He doesn't know he's her sister at that same point, but it's like, oh, that's 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 getting a little bit creepy. So, uh, but you know, age old traditions. Yeah, the bearded one really is the evil twin. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, hey. But but yeah, I mean, there's there, there's there's things in there. It it really is. It's disturbing, but it also serves. I think to emphasize the difference in the the mores of near immortal beings versus humanity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, elves have a very casual attitude about things and don't really understand love because when you live for thousands of years, things get boring, and so <laughs> variety is the spice of life. And, uh, and for humanity, you know, which is this this fleeting candle, that is not necessarily the case. But wow, yeah, there's man. Wasn't the human child growing to be taller than the elven parents? Did I misread it? Misinterpret that? He was the tallest and most stalwart of all of the warriors, at least for the moment, oh, he was, he was because Scathlock? he could wear the iron. Yeah, you're talking about Scathlock. yeah, yeah. He was the strongest. He grew into you know a stature that would you know, surpass the the elves and you know. Uh, but you, you, part of it is, you know, he's the the hero from, uh, you know, the archetype from the human world too. And but but all the you know, human are are depicted as sort of like the males, at least, are like these robust warrior aspects, you know, um, that that kind of are this Norse ideal, you know, in many ways. I, I was, you know, one thing that that kept recurring to me as I was reading this is that. You know, they're both a lot of the, like you said, Bob, there's a lot of the sort of like immortals have almost like a, an amoral sense, right? You know, they're, they're very much sort of like right. side of morals. And, and that somewhat pertains to the protagonist in some ways. But, it, but I was curious what you guys' thoughts were because, you know, Valgrid, who is the changeling, who's this, you know, Reaver character who's very much like a, you know, uncontrolled berserker. I, 
I found myself that sometimes, you know, finding sympathy for him because obviously his he was birthed out of no, you know, volition of his own. And he sort of had this, you know, tragedy in his background. But then he often, you know, had these kind of references to these softer moments, right? When he's like burying his not sister, not sister, um, Asgrid. You know, he has this kind of like moment of of compassion where he takes her and, and you know, buries her in her grave. Or he, he often thinks, should I have this bond with my kin who are not my kin? And similarly, like Scofflock is this, you know, traditional hero character, but he often his actions are very much distasteful in many ways. You know, he's he's very much a killer and a murderer in some cases. And at the end, of course, he's you know driven by the by the sword. But you know, I I felt like both of these are trying to like undermine you know the positions of you know how they were set up originally, like nature versus nurture, or in this case, nurture versus nature. Right, it's humanity rubbing off on the changeling. And the, yeah. the thinking of the Fey rubbing off on, on the mortal, and 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 talking about Scaflock, though, I mean, <clears throat> he is described as, as, as essentially, you know, the, the most powerful among them. There, there's a portion where he is the only known person to have slain a troll with his bare hands, and one of the she actually compares him to Cahulin. Right. Not since Cahoolan has there been a hero of, of, of such power. And so he is he really is like the best of the best among among mortals. <laughs> Vance agrees. That concept of him being the best among the mortals is uh, the passage that just made me laugh the most was he, they travel to the ice giant kingdom, right? And they they go into trick. And it was, it's actually kind of nice how they they're echoing a lot of the, <laughs> hello. They're echoing a lot of like sort of the the, the Thor um, mythology where he tricks the giant into um, building the, or re, you know recreating the sword for him. Um, but he's there with one of these um, you know these half gods, right? You know the Manin and Maclear and you know, they get through that and they escape. And then basically on half a page, it's like, and they had this epic, you know, uh, series of, of adventures and, and it would be a whole nother story if we told it. And that's it. Now we're back to our novel. <laughs> and this tale will also be told. Lies, lies, I tell you. But it's basically like this concept of like, you know, it, he had so much, uh, 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 he had a lifetime and beyond of of heroes adventures just in that one sort of quest to leave the ice giants land. And it's, um, you know, beyond the scope, scope of this story to tell, but it, it gives you the sense of like how, how much of a hero he is set up in the whole mythology that's being referenced. Yeah, it was right. I, see the, the synopsis we got tonight was nothing like the initial synopsis that I had been looking at online, which was about, Thor breaking the sword so that it could not be used to strike at the roots of that Celtic tree I can't pronounce. <laughs> yes, Gurgleplex, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so they, you know, this human child kidnapped and raised by elves has to persuade the ice giant to remake this or to make this sword whole again. But he must also confront his shadow self. And I, it literally that was uh, that was kind of the neat. Thing. I don't remember seeing Thor. <laughs> no, no, but, just a, a but the destruction of the sword is mentioned by Odin, right? I mean, Odin's like, "Yep, yeah, Thor broke the sword." Uh, Sorry about my kid. Yeah, and, uh, but I needed to remake it so I could give it here, so that 
you know, Ragnarok wouldn't be be started because otherwise, it, that's why I've got to take it away from him too, because otherwise he'll keep killing all the trolls and that'll start Ragnarok. We're not ready for Ragnarok yet, so I'm going to take it away. Oh, yeah. I like, how, I like how the giant right? gets excited about Ragnarok, you know, it's like, oh, I'll make the sword Ragnarok, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's the other thing. You know, they, you know, the elves, the trolls, the humans, they all understand that at the end of the day, they're pawns in the hands of the gods and uh and the, the gods certainly appear and uh, and don't disabuse them of that notion well there there is this also this kind of alternate view of man as well because there's very much the view of man who's in who's indebted to the the norse gods or the traditional gods but all throughout the novel, you know, there's this reference to and and all, and the impact of you know the the white god or the white Christ or you know how the, that has a power over all of you know these old gods and the fae and the elves and the, and the trolls and it's this kind of interesting contrast because you you know throughout the novel all that's presented as this all powerful thing but it's very much an unattractive thing too like you know Freya doesn't want to go back to that because it's this sort of like Oh, I'm shackled now to the priests and their their sort of late, you know litanies and things like that. Or the church is a very poor comparison to the castles of the elves and things like that. But it's always with this sort of like, you know, although you know that that true religion or this that religion is is superior to anything that we are talking about at this point, and everybody knows that as well. Well, and they even they even ask like, okay, so Ragnarok and the end of the world, how does that factor into this? this new god they're like we don't know we yeah. don't know as a god i'm not sure how that's going to plan i don't know i don't know what he's going to think it's just going to be there mark didn't you have something in your notes about the another trinity or something yeah there was i think there was an interesting thing that um basically men in bob you were talking about this like how men are and the immortals don't have like love right is kind of how it's presented but Men, I think Emmerich at one time tells Scaflock that fear, defeat, and love sickness are the three ultimates of human life, and those are all unknown by immortals. Although uh, Lena, I think at the end, or Lita, you know, you know, kind of, you know, goes and says, "Well, love, you know, actually, I had love too." <laughs> but um, the other thing that was compared against that or contrasted with the other three things were um, the three powers which gods nor demons nor men can stay, which is the white Christ time and love, you know, and these, these kind of ideas that um, the witch um, has to use one of those to basically get her revenge. And she can't use the white Christ, you know, because the white Christ is, you know, beyond this, all these things. And time is this thing that, you know, also can't be altered, but love is the thing that she can affect. And, and in fact, that's how tangled, you know, Scaflock gets with uh, his own sister and in the love for the, you know, the Orm's, siblings is what dooms them as well because you know valgrad has this sort of you know hate relationship built on the love that you know they fostered and his mother didn't show for him and i see offensive titan has redeemed for a random joke or random fact so i will shoot out the random fact that uh when when karen anderson paul anderson's wife was asked how many books he had written she said they lost count at a hundred <laughs> so you know it nice right uh, you lose count of your books but but yeah so there there's an interesting uh interesting and random well quasi-random fact i suppose he's very prolific yeah 
Yes, he wasn't yeah, Asimov if, if prolific, you, but he was prolific. If you uh, thought this book was weird, check out some of his sci-fi. We can't even show you the covers on Twitch. <laughs> and, and, and I've got to say, um, one one of the things that, that really hit me when they started talking about uh, they were going through you know various people from various places, and they mentioned uh, Flom of Orkney, and my brain immediately went to Lloyd Alexander's Pardane and Flutter Flom. And I was I was so excited that uh, you know, I saw that like you know, right right after you know weird blue eyed elves. There's just so much so much fun and cross ties to different mythologies in here, and and that's the thing right when we're talking about the the morality of you know, or or the amorality right of of the immortal beings. You find that essentially in the beginning of a lot of religions including the Old Testament, where they're like, oh, well, you know, Noah's daughter said he's drunk and he's passed out. Whoa, 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 hey, hey. Um, okay, okay, Ta I, I'm going to put early, a flag early, on play. <laughs> early form religions uh, tend to have some shocking stuff, and so too does the broken sword. How about that? Yeah. So wait, <laughs> we've decided we're not going to stat up Ragnarok. Maybe we should talk about some other things to stat, Bob. <laughs> that, 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 sounds, uh, that sounds fair. Um <laughs> Well, you know, since since we've talked a lot about the elves, uh, boy, Norse Norse pronunciations are are. Uh, I'm gonna butcher them no matter what, but I think it's the Yosalsfar, uh, which is the uh, the light elves of of Norse mythology, who are definitely very different, of course, from from the Celtic Chi. Um and that is that is of course who our story primarily revolves around. And I would love to stat up these eerie blue eye you know all blue eyed elves and and their powers and their things that's just like yeah um <laughs> maybe a berserker class mm -hmm. i mean we i mean technically speaking in, in dcc there is the critical result which is battle rage which allows you to burn personality points of personality for an additional d12 damage uh which is pretty awesome but perhaps a berserker class has some sort of deed die trade-off that allows them to voluntarily enter battle rage, although maybe not leave it. And I, it would sort of go hand in hand with how in the, in the story afterwards, it's just exhaustion and, or even if the battle went too long, mm. I like that. Right. And in game terms, it's normally, I go berserk. Oh, the battle's over. I might accidentally hit a friend. I stopped going berserk. And this one's like a berserk. Oh, <laughs> crap, am I tired? Um, I, I dug that, right? And this is um, the berserker gang, I think, is how he referred to it. Yeah. Um, when you said that, Bob, the one thing that came to mind is um, Harley Stroh's write-up of the Kith class in, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the Purple Planet. There's, a, there's an aspect of that being sort of like a more marauder, and it, I think you can burn personality to augment your your damage and your your things like that so that I, that's definitely kind of a good reference for you know a, yeah. another type of marauder class um i liked the magical bag of wind <laughs> which is which is which is something i've seen expressed in mythology before um not just not just created here in the broken sword i thought that was kind of nice uh, obviously right the the black sword that gives new meaning to main weapons um, it will be your bane. Wait, but I'm I'm wielding it. It's supposed to help me kill other things, right? Yes, and then it will kill you. Um, 
<laughs> no, no, shade of Icarus. No, not Taco Bell bag. No. <laughs> and then the, the whole, okay, you know, Githayan Chinese dwarves that are wholly unlike the actual Shen of Chinese mythology that, that play bumper pool on their way through buildings. Um, <laughs> literally having to carry a shield so that, that, that when they hit a wall, they can turn because they can only move in straight lines. Which of course made me think of hopping vampires because that also is a is a traditional monster in uh, out of Asian mythology that has a very very strange form of locomotion. Uh, <laughs> those are sort of the things that that stuck out to me the most. Hmm. What about you, Mark? I you know the the battle with the white worm in uh, I'm going to be very bad about my, my Norse pronunciations here, but Jontheim or Jontunhelm you know, where the ice giants live, they, it's this kind of, it's not quite a dragon, but you could, you know, it's probably some sort of snake-like creature, but the, the intriguing thing was how it marred and pitted their weapons, you know, as its venom, you know, uh, basically, mm. you, know, bl- you know, burned away the, 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 whatever they were wielding. I like that aspect. Um, the trolls, I mean, I think just like the, you know, the elves in how the light elves, how they're depicted, I think the trolls make a very interesting monster, um, you know, just from the the way that they're described and, and you know, just how rethinking trolls is kind of like the in the DCC vein of, you know, it's not your what you expect from a monster. And I like, you know, the idea that, you know, trolls doing the unexpected and being more intelligent and having magic, you know, like you said, similar to ogres. Being more sensitive to magic as well. Yeah, I mean that that was an interesting thing too. Like yeah. you know, in DCC elves have this kind of iron vulnerability, or but it's like a very much a low level sort of like, oh, I, I'm uncomfortable, and if I touch it too long, I'll I'll be hurt by it. But I think the moment like Scaflock was in battle with a troll, and he his iron shield touched like a troll's face, it seared it. You know, as as how it's described, and and that sort of is kind of a cool you know, thing to build into the the monster or the class, you know, that, you know, either the elves or the, the trolls, that they have this, you know, burning aversion to uh, iron that, that can yeah. instantly wound them. Um, I love the idea of the, you know, how you build and forge a sword that they quench it in venom and that imparts like this poison power to it. So when the, you know, bat, uh, the giant is reforging the sword, you know, the, they he he specifically says I'm. You know, they can hear the venom quenching, you know, sound, and it creates this kind of like toxic, you know, gas. They they're kind of away from. But I love that, and maybe there's some other things you could use to imbue your sword with, you know, different oh, types yeah. of, of things. You know, not just poison, but you know, there's other things you could quench your sword in, whether it's, you know, blood of a demon or you know, the dragon's breath. You know, things like that. Um. The shape-changing cloaks are really cool. You know, I, I think the big take on that one is that he couldn't bear any of his uh, clothing or any weapons when he had to change shape. So he had to get fully undressed, and he could be only wearing these um, these skins in order to change into the otter or the wolf or the eagle. And I think at one point he's he's like, I can't carry the sword and change shape, so I have to be a man and dress. You know, you know, get my clothes back on. And I like that kind of limitation built into you know what's normally mm-hmm. considered. You know, like a druid wild shape form you don't care about those things but in this case you have to be sort of you know to be methodical about how you do that mm-hmm. um there were some interesting sort of like throwaway things that that he were just referenced like uh, i think at one point he said they fought an elemental giantness you know a giantess and i, I love that 
you know, sort of concept of what is an elemental giantess, you know, in, in you know, in terms of uh, DCC and, and he also referenced a witch in the Iron Forest. And I think these are good sort of like adventure hook, uh, monster hook type things. Um, the the last thing I <laughs> just I loved is wizard skis. <laughs> I think at some point in the book, he's, he's skiing and, and hunting and oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he says, I have on my wizard skis, you know, <laughs> he's going and he's traveling fast over the landscape. Oh, God. We, I love that I sort of money. The wizard band. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> slaloming away you know as, as he's uh uh on his skis so i will never i will never look at aspen the same way again <laughs> it's the what cold voiced are... answer to the wizard van yeah there we go <laughs> what are wow. you called by the wizard snowboarders <laughs> <laughs> oh man well of course i wanted to look at those chants and the lullabies and mm. even the mad ravings of the poor troll woman who had been imprisoned for 900 years for nefarious purposes. Um, those could so easily be audible components of curses or spells, mm. especially the more that we get into the dying earth setting now. Uh and keeping in mind that all of this will come into play at the end of our episode, uh, I would love to set up the eight-legged horse that is ridden during the wild hunt. <laughs> that just, uh, yeah, that that's something. Uh, Which I think is Odin Steed Schleppner, or however it is pronounced. Because Odin, Odin has a, an eight-legged horse, and it was Odin leading the wild hunt. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Um, I didn't get the name i got the eight-legged horse <laughs> sorry that's the part that caught my eye um <clears throat> you've got the elf king was introduced to us briefly with a a very vivid visual description but nearly nothing of his power mm -hmm. so i thought yeah we we've got the the patron but what what would it be like to actually give him stats? And same goes for the Troll King. So I, I thought that could be a, a fun uh, dual facet of NPCs, perhaps. Uh, yeah, we get to see much more of the Troll King than we do the Elf King. And it's uh, uh, an interesting character, for sure. Valgard himself, the, the Changeling. What kind of stats would would a character like that have with a bloodline like that, right? And I just love the idea of familiars that can change forms, like the witch had. Oh yeah, the 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 the, the bat that was a rat. It was a rat. And then, well, but there was the, the bat the bat that was a rat, they said at one point, or you know, the rat that was not a rat. After yeah, spending time as a bat, yeah. I, <laughs> exactly. I don't know about you guys, but I loved the um the chapter where the witch enters into a pact with the devil and how that's described and how she has her familiar suckle from her her breast and like biting mm -hmm. her, you know, her blood. And I that was just so much like that's again, you know, calling back to dying earth is very much like well, what what yeah. we have for the witch class, you know, which that that I love that um 
that the description. What I what I liked is you know there's essentially uh, two attempts at making a pact, and the second time when uh, when she is trying to make a a deal with her dark servant, he's like, you know, I already own you, and that last guy wasn't me, right? You know that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh wow, that's uh, oh that's that's never good. Uh, so. <laughs> So two patrons. She's she's got two patrons, and uh, neither it's one possible. of them like her. Neither <laughs> one of them like her. Uh, yeah, if you're looking at Linkmar rules, she's got a pretty high patron die for both of them, and needs to do some major favors to get those down. <laughs> um. So, uh, for audio suggestions, I have a very paltry suggestion, but one that stuck with me throughout the entire thing, especially after meeting the fawn, and that would be Creature of the Wood by Heather Alexander. Which, which, is, which is fitting because, if I recall correctly, Heather Alexander is the artist who stepped who stepped into the realm of the Fae to save her changeling brother, who emerged without her and emerged as Alexander James. Thank you. I couldn't remember the last name. Yes. Uh, so, so yes. <clears throat> but if you're looking for the actual recording, it would be under Heather Alexander. Unfortunately. Yes. We'll be on the Spotify list. Yes. How about How you, about Mark? Mark? I had a pair, um, so we'll slowly build up to, to Bob's massive tome, <laughs> as always. Um, there are two albums that um, that I, I like, and I, I got when we took a trip to Iceland and had a, an enjoyable time there, but one of them is called Edda, Myths, and Myths from Medieval Iceland um, by the Sequentia Ensemble. Um, and it's kind of Edda in musical prose form, so kind of very much in the scald tradition. Um, and it's 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 a it's one of that I just like to to have playing, you know, um, and as a background music. And then I'm again going to butcher these pronunciations, but it's, I want to hear it. <laughs> it's Lan Skulker, um, instrumental Icelandic folk music, and this is by Magnus for Sigmundsson and Rand R. Jonsson. Um, and so this is uh, traditional Icelandic folk music um, that I think this this one came out in the 1996 or something like that. But again, it's if you like sort of the the scald, um, you know, sort of epic, uh, you know, music and 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 kind of inspired by those stories and the Eddas, uh, you know, you know, which is the Icelandic tradition, you know, taking from, you know, the Danes and the uh, and the the, the Norse. Um, those are really great albums just to have, you know, as, as part of your library. And All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I went with a couple different uh, musical genres that tied in, starting with sort of the, the folk style music. There is an album, uh, which is Shala, which confuses me because it's spelled with a K, um, by, by the duo uh, Vilkirik who until recently were touring Renaissance festivals and other venues of that sort around the US. Um, it's, it's got some great, great solid vocals, uh, haunting tones to it, vengeful, really nice. Um, there is Nordic and Viking Folk by Ragnarok Nordic Viking Folk, which is sort of self-explanatory there, right? On the, on the folk side. <laughs> and there is Odin's Raven Magic, and this has lots of names I can butcher, uh, Mark. Sigurd Ross, Hilmar Om Hilmarsson, Steindor Anderson, and Maria Holdemarken Sigvus Dotter. 
That's really good. That's really good. The daughter part at the end, I get it. Um, <laughs> but all of those are, are fantastic uh, folk and traditional style music. Uh, then for, for those that like more rock and metal influences, there is A Night at the Nordic House, live with the Symphony Orchestra of the Faroe Islands by the band Tear. How Far to Asgard is another great album by Tear. Um, there is a band called Skald. I think I think Skald is how it's pronounced. I, I, I don't know. I sort of I sort of lost faith in pronunciation after Shella being pronounced spelled <laughs> with a K. Um, but uh, Huldu Folk and Vikings Chant are both really really great albums by by them. And we we I put together I think everything I couldn't find. I think Islands Klukur. Is the only thing I couldn't find. So there is a Spotify list to accompany this show that is eleven plus hours of music. Nice. Okay. And, uh, Very so cool. So we'll include that with the show notes. I dropped it into the chat. Please don't start listening to it now because you'll miss the rest of the show. But uh, <laughs> and it'll there's be so much powerful music and imagery, right? And that yeah. that sort of ties in with what Jen was talking about about all the verse and and poetry in the book there is this massive you know, oral tradition in, in Nordic history of this is how stories were told mm. until they were eventually written down. And, and so there is, there is no shortage. I mean, I could have, I could have gone for days. I could have made a, a Spotify playlist that would be, play for days, but it didn't take me that long to read the book. So I didn't think I should, you know, have a playlist. Long. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Bob. And oh. now, now we get to the segment of... Uh, Keeper Mark's ludic ludicrously long lexicon words of the day. <laughs> I love that. We, we come to this segment that I've come to love because of the embracing of the nerdery that is verbiage and the OED. Yes. This, <laughs> well, this, this, one, of the day. <laughs> this one was much more like when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, I have to write that one down and look it up later. I have to write that one down and look it up later. And it reminded me of reading the Dying Earth novels and doing that. To exactly. A, a, a lesser degree in this one, because there's it's, this is, um, you know, the, the words were real. <laughs> the words are, are real and they actually you can find them in the OED. They're not invented, you know, so much. Um, there, so if you're if you're in the version I read, and I think you guys confirmed that most of these words, or if not all of them, probably appeared in your version too. But there's a lot of this sort of Scandinavian, um, Anglo-Saxon, Old English sort of um, you know uh, verbiage that's thrown throughout the novels, and it's it's a really interesting to read because uh, you know most novels you know of fantasy probably take a much more direct approach to describing things, but I think Paul Anderson was was kind of being very playful in some ways, you know, by saying, I'm going to use the language that's part of the Eddas or part of like the, the Norse oral tradition. And so I, I we don't have to go through this full list, but I think it'd be great if we, you know, made that part of the show notes just to have there. Um, but um, some of the ones that I really liked that were repeated often, a, a Birni, which I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that was used over and over again. It's basically like a, a corslet or a cuirass, and you can get that from the context, but I'd never heard, you know, Birni. Uh, I was on board with that one too, yeah. Um, yeah, there is the uh, the Quern, which I love that word. It's uh, Q-U-E-R-N, 
which is just referenced one time. It's like they're passing, you know, again, leaving the ice giant land. And it's and it's basically like a crack or a crevice in a piece of ice. And you get the sense of, you know, there's millions of words for the word, you know, ways you describe ice and snow and in sort of that context, because, you know, it's so pervasive in the in the northern, you know, latitudes, right, you know, where fjords and you know, glaciers are, and, and you have to come up with a ways of you know, describing these things. So queren is a, is a really great word, and it's, it's very sound, you know, uh, it sounds nice as well. I love the way that um, when Imric and uh, the Troll King, Ilric, Ilric, I can't remember, if, you know, the name precisely, but when they transform into their, in, during the battles, um, Imric transforms into what's called a seamew, which is another word for a gull, right? And it's just, you know, but that a seamew is this like great description, you know, great alternate way of, of describing a gull and, and an erny, which is you know, probably a more common word, but that's what, you know, he's an eagle, you know, to your, okay. Yeah. So or the S E A M E W. Yes. And, and, seamew. Seamew is is what how Imric's shape changing is, and you know the, I think at one point the troll king like basically attacks him because this eagle attacking a gull, and that you know to cast him down. Um, and then there was uh, my probably my favorite one is um, a word I've heard before, but you know just it was used in a, in a neat context and has a nice historical uh, resonance, which is wear guild. Yeah, wear guild is this lovely term, and it's used in other fantasy settings, but. You know, it was kind of fun seeing it here because it has this very much a real historical element to it where you can find Norse law or Anglo-Saxon law that actually specifies how much you have to pay, if, you know, if you kill uh, a, a different people of different stations. And it goes all the way up, you know, from a commoner or a thrall all the way up to a king, you know, in terms of this is how much, you know, gold you have to pay the family or the, the kingdom, you know, if you slay one of the one of these um you know, these these people and I, I love the fact that this is kind of like a codified you know system that was used transactionally you know to basically you know, uh, you know soften the blow of battle right because you know you can you can make up for killing uh an, an alderman or a or a thane by paying the gold and you don't have to have a revenge you know for it in that space so it's, it's basically a way of you know taking Ouch. something that you know could could it's cascade into you it's a civil penalty that avoids penalty, yeah. assassins, right? I was like, where guild? Um, well, wait, where, where guild? What? <laughs> Changeling what? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's my, if I had to pick one, I'd say where guild, but I loved seeing all these other uncommon words. And, and like you said, Bob, these are all things that, you know, when you look them up, they're real words. They're just, you know, you know, un, they're obsolete, <laughs> archaic you know, not in, in use, but um, they're there, you know, they're there for the, you know, the plucking, you know, for the game table. And, uh, and only half of Vance's words were real. Right, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they sort of oh, made them yeah. backwards compatible with the uh, the Vance lexicon, right? Exactly. <laughs> which, is, which is one guy going insane, trying to figure everything out from context. Right. Well, now we come to... Uh, our existing materials that could be used to tie this book into your table play. And we'd already mentioned uh, the dying earth setting. We touched on the, the kith of the purple planet. Uh, I would also throw in, there's a module called the trolls of Mistwood by Shinobi 27, mm. one of the older third party books, but uh definitely very trolly and witchy and 
It really makes me wonder if the author hadn't read The Broken Sword and said, I'm going to write an adventure around that. Uh, I'm just, I'm I'm a little sad because I haven't read it recently, so it wasn't as in the forefront of my brain. And, and wasn't that like the first of a trilogy? Uh, I know there was more than one. At least a series of, of two, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I would also like to remind everybody that the DCC annual has a chapter on named weapons, such as Brother Slayer or our cursed sword from this book so you can easily look at that and create your own or pull one from that book and use it in your game i i just don't think the annual gets enough traction i love that call out it's it's really one of these things i just recently reread it and it's like this is so much good material that you know doesn't get highlighted enough so the, the annual definitely you should check that out if you're a fan of the core book well and, and speaking of things that don't get called out often enough. I know we mentioned Dying Earth, but there's this one little adventure by Terry Olson called The Sorcerer's Tower of Sanguine Slant that has a scene in there that if you have read The Broken Sword and you recall the scene with the sword dance turning into one of the biggest battles, uh, I think you'll really appreciate the tie-in. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let Mark take over from there. Uh, yeah, I think we both like you know started to to ruminate on the Scald as a um, feature of the Lankmark oh, yeah. Warrior class, and and I love that uh, this you know it, the 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 Scald is referenced many times in uh, in the novel, but the way that Lankmar implements it is is really fun because we had a lot of the players. I think one of the the tournament games when we did. Um, you know the 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 Lankmar tournament. One of the pregens was this was a scald warrior, and it was always great to see that used. You know, in 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 the battles or in the combat, and we had some amazing sort of you know turns of play based on that. So the Lankmar setting has a has a great sort of you know uh, similar you know uh, inheritance for the you know that that uh, Farfid uh, you know class you know that that can take on oh, yeah. you know, sort of aspects of Scalflick. Um, the other one I, I, and this is just one that because I was doing my own sort of, you know, work in the space of ice and winter and the end of the world, the holiday module that I wrote, um, called Twilight of the Solstice has, well, there's a throwback. It's a throwback. It's it, it was the 2016 holiday module. It has, um, if you're a fan of like giants and, um, and sort of like, uh, you know, the John Tar and the uh, Jotun, you know, sort of mythology, there's um, things that are included in that. Um, it certainly um, could be, you know, reskin where you know part of the journey in the book is, you know, going to the the ice kingdom of the giants. In that in that uh, adventure, you are sort of transported to the you know the the ice kingdom of the giants and have to to deal with that before you know time runs out essentially in the in the the end of the world through the endless stillness of of endless winter you know comes about. So. Um, that was uh, certainly something that, you know, several years ago, you know, if you haven't, you know, done the holiday stuff, that it was kind of a fun thing to write. But um, Bob, hand it over to you. Um, well, speaking of holiday modules, right? The Old Gods Return by Michael Curtis. I love that adventure. <laughs> it, it, it draws on uh, Scandinavian folklore, uh, I think specifically Finnish. 
and and so it it tie it, you can use that I think to help tie together a, a campaign if you want to set something in this world of the broken sword. Doom of the Savage Kings by Harley Stroh already feels like Beowulf, right? <laughs> there barely barely any any reskinning required. Uh, super easy, barely an inconvenience. Uh, for a real deep cut, how about DCC number 29, The Isle of Fury by uh, Greg Opetisano? Um, it includes Scandi okay. Bards, who have Jeez. kind of a resemblance to Vikings. It makes a direct reference to the Faroe Islands. Uh, it includes Niflheim, Odin, Loki. It, it's, it's all in that. There's all sorts of stuff in that vein. And then there's some really deep ones here. (laughs) Well, hey, right? I mean, (laughs) all right, hit us. (laughs) Let's talk some cool third party stuff, right? I mean, yes. um, Ed Stanek and uh, Reorgan Games? Reorgan. Reorgan. There we are. See, (laughs) it's just pronunciation tonight, especially. (laughs) Um, There's two books that I would suggest there's Tribes of the North which despite its title is not a, necessarily a Viking book, right? It is a barbarians book. There's, there's the Vandals, there's all sorts of barbarians in there, but uh, certainly would be of great interest. And because of the Celtic connections, there's Isles of the Celts. So there's two source books with, with spells and history and, and information, which would be fantastic. Um, Dan Osterchuk did a series, Divinities and Cults, and Volume 1 for DCC includes a number of Norse gods, including you know, Odin and Tyr. <laughs> James Spawn. Hi, James. We miss you, James. Uh, did <laughs> Warrior Horde of the... I- oh, boy. <laughs> I think it's the... And Henry I'm Henry R. Yeah. Which, <laughs> Does it take place in a rural setting? <laughs> but it, it's a full patron write-up based on Norse mythology. And, uh, and, nice. and that's out there and available. Uh, friend of the show and Globern co-host James Walls over at Living for Crits actually ran two sessions of what he called Viking Crawl Classics. And oh, uh, cool. you, can, you can read about that on, on his Living for Crits blog where he describes where he pulled all of the various inspirational materials, you know, old D&D source books and things like that. And I believe he ran, uh, he ran them through Sailors on the Starless Sea. And then finally, it's, it's also worth mentioning that DCC community member Colin Broad is the author of the tale of Hofdauber, I think. Uh, Hofdonner, the Black, uh, it's available for free if you've got Kindle Unlimited. It's a buck if you don't. Besides having written a number of books based on Norse fantasy, he was also one of the folks who disagreed with Sanctum's general meh feeling of Three Hearts and Three Lions. <laughs> and so it's worth giving him a shout out since we really enjoyed this one. Uh, I see what you did there, Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. I, I thought I when uh, when he first first sent the uh, sent the angry email, I was like, "All right." I threatened him that I was going to buy all this stuff and read it, and I did, and I liked it. So okay. here's that. And uh, beyond that, I guess that takes us to our feature for the show, "Beyond the Black Gate" by Harley Stroh. Yes. Yes. Jen, you want to tell us about it? 
Summoned by a coven of foul witches, the adventurers are bid through the Black Gate and across the multiverse in pursuit of the crown of the fallen horned king. There, in the ice-bound gloom of the thrice-tenth kingdom, they must pit their wits and brawn against his dread servants. His sullen citadel looms above the darksome woods and elfin ice caves, ruling over the mystic kingdom. Do you dare to ascend the throne of bones and declare yourself master of the wild hunt? Whatever your answer, the land beyond the Black Gate is sure to present a grim challenge for even the hardiest of adventures. And uh, nice. I, I, I can guarantee that uh, Bob wore the crown. <laughs> yeah, I didn't <laughs> declare myself Master of the Wild Hunt. I lost my sixth level dwarf for player character because someone else declared me the Master of the Wild Hunt. <laughs> it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> I'm still a little salty about that, but sort of <laughs> not right. because. But anyway... It is a fantastic adventure. I, I, I've never run this adventure, but boy, I played the daylights out of it when we ran it. <laughs> when Jen ran Foul it. Foul witches indeed. Mm. May I just say that Mr. Strone knows how to write a foul witch. Mm. <laughs> I mean, from Doom of the Savage Kings, uh, his most recent Thieves of Cold Corner, the Snow Witches, from the cold waste of Lankmar and this coven, I mean, it's I I don't know if it's a theme in his life or what he's trying to tell us, but <laughs> but boy does Hardly it Hardly blink in. twice if you're okay. <laughs> I mean I, no 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 salt or shade thrown anywhere, but uh, maybe a little over your shoulder, right? But I just there there's something uh, evocative about it, and for someone who says that he doesn't read Appendix N before writing adventures, I I'm gonna have to call BS, man. <laughs> well, such he's, he's a brilliant blend here. Well, I, it's not that he hasn't read the stuff though, right? Because he as he has, it's just that he tends to find the visuals more inspiring. Correct. Yeah. Oh, no. And, and that's entirely why he has uh, thus far politely declined to appear on our show. <clears throat> that's all I'm saying. Just have to get him really drunk on tequila at Gen Con. Well, we should have had him for the, you know, the 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 movie show, um, Paul Anderson's. Yeah, he would have loved that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you were just looking for someone to suffer along with you, right? Because, I mean... I... <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I've got to say that this this entire adventure feels like it's set after an invasion from Jotunheim, with with you know the th weird three eyed frost giants. But it reminded me of sort of you know England after being invaded by the trolls and the broken sword. There's sort of that that kind of creepy parallel, but oh, but absolutely a bigger threat. And you know, obviously the the master of the wild hunt is not the all-powerful or the near all-powerful being, right? He's not Odin, like he is in the in the Broken Sword. So bringing him down a level so that these giants can, can pose a serious threat really feels like something straight out of the Paul Anderson book. I, I loved it. And the adventure certainly allows a judge to bring the wild hunt into their game 
in several different ways, including by removing powerful PCs from the party and uh, making them into a patron, I guess. It was never my intent. Trust me. I'm so me. torn. It wasn't my intent either. That was the thing, right? It was, it was a different, a different character decided to go a wholly different route, and uh, and all of a sudden, I was no longer a PC. Um. Okay, so Mark, what was your takeaway? Well, this is the reason that I sort of gravitated to this adventure is that I had I'd never played it. Never, you know, I, I, it was one of these adventures that because it was a higher level adventure and and this is a fifth level adventure for you know folks who are uh, may not uh, recognize it it's one of these things that you don't get a chance to play very much because so much of a dcc is you know introductory or focused on the the you know one two level adventures and it's it's one of these that deserves highlighting um just because it it is a harley store adventure it's one of these things that anytime you get a harley store adventure it's going to have like like you said this kind of richness to it and I, I think the how I came across this adventure was, uh, and I, I sort of came after the the wave of initial DCC adventures. So this one was probably before, I think it was before, you know, I was introduced to DCC, which was, I think I started coming on when Frozen in Time, you know, was published. So it was a few modules after this. And so I, it was it was nice to go back and read again, you know, some of these um, classics, you know, you could call them and and kind of highlight them. But this one in particular, because it has giants. And I always loved that, there, there's not a whole lot of instances of giants in DCC adventures. You know, I Those think are some, well, it, yeah, and and there and there's some in his, um, you know, eighth level adventure. The um, I'm forgetting the name now. The the oh gosh, it's a great one too. But um, Colossus you know, he, arise, the Colossus arise, right? You know, so there's like giant like creatures and titans. You know, uh, the, you know, the Colossus, the Titan. You know, that arises at the end. But you know, I've always been intrigued by giants because they're, you know, they're they're obviously against the frost giants and you know, and and the classic D and D adventures. You know, going back to some of the source materials, I I think that Harley did a great job of doing a a, a DCC style of that and making it weird and making it challenging and you know, in the in kind of the you're you're not just fighting giants in a cave, you're fighting for the crown of the, you know, the wild hunt and you're traveling to like this, you know, distant land and being transported there and, and having to like, you know, use your wits. So it, it is a great adventure. Uh, I, I, I just, as a judge reading it, it's, it's one of these that after I read it, I just want to run it, you know, and just, and get into it. Um, and, and so definitely worth highlighting is, is kind of the classics, you know, that, uh, that were part of the original DCC, um, you know, line way back in the beginning. Yeah, and yeah, that does put things in, into perspective. This was number 72, and it started at 66.5, so it really right. was one yeah. of the early ones. Okay, well, um, th so what do we say at that point? Uh, thanks for the memories, Mr. Stroh. Uh, no, that <laughs> sounds really morbid, actually. Strike that, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, looking at the clock here and, and our Twitch mistress uh, tapping at her watch. Uh, we should just remind everyone really quickly that for our 50th episode, which was the last one where we had the Dark Master on with us, uh, we did something truly special, which was a drawing for one lucky listener to receive the last unclaimed copy of the Shrouded Grimoire, which is number 10 of 10. 
compiling five years worth of foreboding magics and arcane lore, this library contains 37 new spells and 13 new patrons to bring to your DCC RPG table. And where could this secret text be found? In none other than the Sanctum Sacorum's very own. <clears throat> dun, dun, dun. Rise, closet of mystery. Thank you. <laughs> to enter, one merely needed to drop us an email with their favorite Appendix N story. After all, we need suggestions for season four, which is coming up after this one, right? After season three, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're in season three now. That's what I was trying to get at. The favorite stories ranked in no particular order came in as Nine Princes of Amber by Roger Zelazny, Bazaar of the Bizarre by Fritz Leiber, The Dying Earth and Kugel Saga by Jack Vance, Empire of the East by Fred Saberhagen, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, Red Nails by Robert E. Howard, and A Dark Horse Entry for Armor by John Stakely. Bob, was that you? <laughs> <laughs> it was not. I am not eligible to win, and I already have a copy of the book. <laughs> so, but obviously, someone who listens to this show. <laughs> really? Uh, so, with no further ado, uh, the lucky winner of the drawing is... Bob, would you like to have the honors? Steve, a.k.a. Dirk Gently, uh, with his vote for Empire of the East. Steve is a brand new listener. Episode 50 was his first show. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome, Steve. Steve's a good name. Uh, yeah. Empire of the East. Uh, we may have done part of it, but we could always do more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. So. We did that on just a, episode, a few episodes ago, like maybe 10 episodes ago. Recent and episodes, and then, yeah, recent. but that's not recently because we were three years ago. Episode. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe prior to pandemic, I, I suppose. I that think was it was prior to pandemic, yeah. yeah. Ish. Uh, so thank you to everyone that entered. As a reminder, the Sanctum's Quorum Reading Room has monthly drawings as well, and that is the show every other two weeks of the month, usually, where we give away all sorts of vintage sci fi and fantasy. Well, uh, we've relaunched the Sanctum Sacrum Companion as Sanctum Sacrum Quarterly. Our first issue is absolutely massive. It includes new monsters and magic, reviews, rules discussion, uh, comics, and a full-blown adventure based on uh, Tower of the Elephant, Pillar of the Pachyderm. <laughs> as always, it is it's available so <laughs> totally for free on DriveThruRPG, and we're always looking for, for new content contributors. So if you're interested in joining the team for the long haul or just have something you want to contribute for a single issue, drop us a line at the hub at sanctum.media. We'd love to see what sort of things you've been creating. In the meantime, be sure to check out our new releases from Ugandan author Ashraf Braden, the Kakondo, Lukwata, and the Bakwezi, which was last month's entry. All of them are available at DriveThruRPG. They're only a dollar each. And you can watch for the upcoming release as soon as Jan is done editing it and Mr. Goodman is done approving it, which is Camilla, which is devoted to a powerful river elemental. And the one right before it is the Bachwezi. Bachwezi, yeah. We have a pronunciation, pronunciation right in the back now. You're welcome. <laughs> 
know, the, 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 Kikondo, the Kikondo and Laquata are both, are both monsters and include you know, new mighty deeds and weapons. Uh, but Twizy is a complete playable class. Mm-hmm. So, and then... And, you know, if, and I was going to say, if, if you are interested in contributing to the Sanctum Quorum Quarterly, and you've always wanted to have something edited by yours truly, um, now is your chance, because it's not happening anywhere else at this point in my bandwidth. <laughs> That's, that is totally fair. <laughs> If you're enjoying the show, you know, please comment on the podcast or help us by posting a review on like iTunes and now on YouTube or uh, Drive Through RPG for you Zine fans. Uh, the ratings and reviews they really do help with the algorithm. All hail the algorithm, uh, which helps new listeners find the show and, and find the community. Uh, and you can join us next month when we discuss Lee Brackett's tale, The Hounds of Scaith. A huge Lee Bracket fan, so I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, any any last thoughts, uh, Jen, Mark? Uh, well, as somebody just asked in the Twitch chat, uh, we're doing the Red Nails episode from Howard um, in two weeks. Yeah. Same time, we were... same bat channel. Terribly sorry, there was no way we were getting home in time, and we uh, were yeah, a little we... over. We were over ambitious with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were. That's that. That is that is our fault. We won't we'll get home. We'll get home in time on Tuesday to do a show on Tuesday. <laughs> sure, we, <laughs> sure. It's a twenty-two hour drive. What could go wrong? Thing, I won't. I won't even wrong. start with a list. No, not 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 horribly wrong, but just a little bit. Uh, but we will be home in two weeks, and so we will do that show, and then. Two weeks after that, we'll be doing the Hounds of Scaith, right? Does that math out right? Um, May gets May gets a little funny actually because we're doing a total of three shows in May. Right, that's right. Oh, yeah, we have the, we have the tell, author. Bob. Yeah. We, uh, so, so we are. I don't have it's. Uh, <laughs> our our regular our regular show, our regular Sanctum Scorm show, is, rather than being on the second week, will be on the third week. So oh. it'll be the third week. The fourth week will be reading room. The second week, you, I don't have the book in front of me. Y'all uh, are going to get sick of us is what we're saying. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad because I, I don't, it's. It's it's the show on the ninth. It's going to be a uh, special show, uh, Sanctum Sacorum Live with the author of the book. And that's. You know that that's a good enough teaser, I think. Well, I, I and I think we can tease that it is a weird western. <laughs> that's good too. So, so May May is going to be a busy sanctum, sanctum, sanctum month. Uh, Mark, any last thoughts besides May is a sanctum, sanctum, sanctum month? <laughs> I was just going to say that it was wonderful seeing um, so many members of the DCC community recently at GaryCon. Um, yeah. It was such a fun time. Um, really a, a highlight, you know, of the year so far. So um, thanks for, you know, all the folks that, that came out and played games, said hi, just enjoyed the, you know, the, the you know, the community, you know, and, and we don't get to do that often enough, but it was really special. So certainly... Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking forward to the next time that we can get together with uh, members of the community and uh, hopefully fans too. Gen Con, Gen Con, Gen Con, Gen Con, Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's anyone out there that's interested in running funnels under the Goodman Games banner, get in touch with me. Oh, yeah. Gen at goodman-games.com. 
there you go. There you have be, it. Be very well supported, you know, in uh, and it's an easy way to get some experience, you know, for um, for and new judges and new players. So and we have some record, record games. And mm -hmm. and we give perks for Gen Con games. That's true. So you can you. even sit in the wizard band, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we give tangible perks too. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, be inspired. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.